with that, everybody, let's uh, reintroduce Inge Biskoner and her guest tonight. It's, uh, it's, I know, Stu, you don't probably remember me, but many, many years ago when I was a younger person, I won't say young person because that was a long, long time ago, but a younger <laughs> person, took several classes from you and, uh, and you hosted several events when I was at, and I've read many of your publications, and that's kept me in business pretty much all of my, all my life. So I'm excited to have you as a guest on the show. Ingi, why don't you take it away? All right. Thank you, uh, Chris Davey. And, uh, yeah, and I can't concur more for our listening audience to support Maven's Notebook. Um, it is incredible what that woman does. I mean, it is up to the minute, water news, um, all sorts of agencies um, use that information and become more efficient because of it. So uh, please support her um, if you are listening and, uh, and agree. So, without further ado, I would like to introduce Dr. Stuart Stiles from the Irrigation Training and Research Center at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Welcome the real to the show, Cal Stuart. Poly. The real Cal Poly. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Stuart. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. So, um, for the listening audience, let me give a little more of Stuart's background. Uh, I've known him for a very long time, too. I never took a class from him, so you outdate me just a bit on that, uh, Chris Davey, but... Um, Stuart is a director and a professor at Cal Poly's ITRC, and he's been doing that for over 26 years, so a very good part of his career. And he's a specialist in irrigation project modernization and on-farm irrigation management, design, and evaluation. And he has over 30 years of field experience doing this, both as a consultant and an engineer, and of course at Cal Poly. Very engaged in the industry. He's a former chairperson of the Irrigation Association Certification Board. He's a registered civil engineer in both California and Nevada. And he's a certified irrigation designer with the Irrigation Association. And as I mentioned, he teaches at Cal Poly and um, also other professional irrigation classes. And he's a fellow board member of mine at the California Irrigation Institute. And that's been just wonderful to have you on the board, Stuart and also a USCID board member. So, Stuart, before we dive into our topics, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the water space, into irrigation and farming and all that. Okay. Um, I'll try to keep it nice and short. Um, (laughs) I I, I go back a long ways here with my my irrigation history, but actually right out of high school, I, uh, I went to a JC and I was learning how to draft and one of the old local uh, irrigation design firms um, was looking for someone to draft up their designs. Um, so the the company, I, I started with them. I ended up doing about 200 designs, and some of the fellows would come by my, my drafting table and say, you know, you need to, to go over to Cal Poly and, and get a degree in engineering, you know, so you can go out and make the big bucks. And um, so <laughs> that was that was kind of how I got started. I, I did a lot of uh, Bow Smith designs out in the Exeter area. Um, yeah. You know, back at the time, I, I didn't think that much about it, but um, you know, it really kind of kind of got me uh, set down a certain path here of um, being very inter- interested in irrigation. Um, my I was always interested in agriculture. My family has been farming in California since the 1850s, um, so we have a long history uh, of family. You know, being in the farming business, they were in dryland. Uh, wheat for a long time, and then they got into almonds. And uh, my cousins uh, are still doing custom harvesting. They they travel throughout California and then throughout some of the Western United States to to do their uh, their business. So, so I've had a, a long history in um, irrigation, 
and and in uh, agriculture, and so it kind of uh, was a it was a natural fit to come to the university and and work in a university environment with a lot of students. Uh, my 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 situation now is that we have uh, I work with this center, the ITRC, uh, Irrigation Training Research Center, and we have about 30 to 40 students that are working with us at any point in time. We have about 50, 50 to 60 projects that are active, and uh, it's given us a really good opportunity to try to train the, the next uh, crop of um, water resource engineers um, and technicians and individuals that are going out into the water industry to take on these jobs. Yeah, well, you certainly do a wonderful job at it. We're so happy that you are at the ITRC, although I had no idea that your family farming went back to the 1850s. I mean, you guys, your your ancestors must be must have been hanging out with Henry Miller. They they uh, they were competing uh, with those folks, um, but they were dryland farmers, so they didn't like the uh, they didn't like the lowland uh, guys down there that were uh, you know uh, diverting the river. They uh, they were they were up in the Modesto uh, uh, Escalon area. They were up in okay. that region, and they were they were farming the foothills up there with the with wheat, dryland wheat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I they must have bumped into each other because that's kind of when uh, when ag got started in California in those early days. Well, that's that's wonderful. We're glad to have you here on the uh, kind of the technology end of um, and the irrigation side. You know, being a civil engineer, you could have gone a lot of different directions, but um, yeah, thank you for your contributions um, in helping train this new crop of, um, you know, on-farm and infrastructure engineers uh, to help us solve our irrigation problems here in the state. So, yeah, thanks. You know, you, thanks. I appreciate you, the comments. You're, you're very welcome. So it was good to see you last week in uh, Pismo Beach for the California Ag Irrigation Association fall meeting. We didn't get to spend much time because I was only able to be there for a day. But you uh, gave a, a keynote there to nearly 100 ag irrigation manufacturer and dealer and consultant professionals. Tell us a little bit about what you um, shared with them, uh, including the Irrigation Bill of Rights. Okay. Um, so one of the topics I was asked to cover, um, we've, we've updated the Irrigation Consumer Bill of Rights. Um, this, this is a document that basically is just a, a series of questions uh, that was it was designed for the consumer. It was designed for the, the homeowner, the farmer, the, the uh, person that's buying the irrigation equipment. And the, the goal was to try to get the questions in front of the consumer that they should be asking the irrigation dealer and maybe even the irrigation manufacturers out there. And, and so it's, it's pretty tough when you're in an industry or you're, you're buying equipment and you're spending a, a lot of money um, on a system and you're not even sure what the questions are supposed to be. So um, we worked on this initially um, a while back, and um, in the last uh, four to five years, there's been a, a real strong push toward um, soil moisture sensors and sensing technology and um, some some new companies that are, are doing really well. They've, they've uh, fit into different grant programs. And so we didn't have anything on uh, soil and plant moisture monitoring systems. So we put together a new uh, uh, couple of pages that actually get into a lot of the details um, on those aspects. You know, just, just basic things like, um, you know, how does the technology work? You know, where should you place these sensors? Is, is one sensor in a field enough or do you need multiple sensors? Um, 
you know, and then how, how do they do basic things? Like how do they communicate back to a base station or are they connected to the cloud or, you know, and then how, how does the, how does the data get stored? How do you download the data? And then, and then the biggest uh, issue out there is how do you interpret um, a lot of this information? It's, uh, some of these new technologies have a, um, a really good way of um, really generating lots and lots and lots of information, but how do you sort through it and, and make uh, sense um, out of the, the information that's coming back? And we obviously, we've had a ton of experience over the years um, working with growers, working with the dealers, working with the water agencies, the water districts, and things like that. So we, we have a pretty good idea of, you know, what the answers are to the questions, but we really wanted to try to get that format so that the, the user, the, the consumer out there, could get those questions in front of them and then go to their dealers. And then, obviously, you want to work with the dealers that are going to answer your questions. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to have the background. They're going to have the horsepower within their own organizations that they can uh, do this. And, and that's what we're really trying to promote is that um, the irrigation dealers, the, the folks that are selling equipment, um, you know, they, they do have that background. And I, I think you and you are, are probably one of my best examples of a, of a very highly trained uh, individual with an organization that can answer, you know, these types of questions uh, for the consumers and, and, and it not just be, uh, you know, a pure uh, uh, overt sales uh, pitch. It's more of a, you know, an informed, uh, educated decision or, or uh, answer uh, back to these, uh, these folks that are trying to answer these questions. So that was one yeah, of our big well, areas that we covered. Yeah, I, well, um, I think that's um, appropriate for uh, the farmers to have this extra tool in their hands to, you know, because they're not all irrigation experts, right? There's, they're, they have so many other areas in farming that they need to know about, and irrigation is just one of 20 areas of expertise. So I, I really like this document because it helps them buy and, you know, become informed purchasers and not let anybody pull the wool over their eyes. And anybody, and, I, you know, I'm saying this from a manufacturer's standpoint as well, that it's okay to ask those questions. We, we don't want to be competing with people out there that can't answer these questions because they're, they're you know, they are poor competitors. We want to compete with good people. So I think this helps level that playing field, and I thank you for it. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's uh, some of it's been around for a little while, and then we we just added this other component. And um, there's there's one of the things that's in here that is uh, one of the, the irrigation performance uh, terms that we we use, and we really try to get the dealers and the growers to uh, manufacturers to discuss this term. It's uh, distribution uniformity, and it's it's a real challenge out there because uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings about you know how you might calculate it or or what it involves, but it's actually a pretty straightforward um, tool to go out there and, and evaluate how your system is, is operating. And then and then the key is to know the next step is to how to improve your uniformity if, the, if you have a poor uh, performance on your irrigation system. Well, that is very important because uh, I think what we're learning is that just because people buy, uh, you know, a, a high-tech uh, pressurized irrigation system, that doesn't necessarily make it efficient, right? Um, can, you can mess them up, and they can be poorly designed, installed, or maintained, and um, and you really defeat that purpose. So I really I really like that aspect of helping to maintain or fix something that that's uh, gone amiss. Right, and and the biggest one of the biggest problems that we run into is um, 
someone will invest a lot of money in a product such as drip irrigation or microspray irrigation, but then they, they don't um, um, provide adequate filtration, for example, and, and then the, you can have a brand-new system, and it can be very expensive, but uh, within one year you can have the maintenance issue of having plugging. It's just caused by not having adequate uh, filtration. Or, or another simple problem is uh, the issues with uh, uh, precipitates or um, algae or any, some kind of growth in your lines and then not treating uh, that with some kind of chemical treatment to make sure that you're clearing up your lines. And uh, yeah. we've seen systems plug up in, in a year, um, year to two years, and they, they're very expensive, and then they, they've totally um, you know, got to the point where they can't put, uh, put out water adequately, and the farmers really hurt on their investment. Then. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine spending you know, upwards of 1000 or $2,000 per acre for you know, a high-tech drip system or sprinkler system or micro-sprinkler system and having it plug up? That's a huge, huge amount of money gone down the drain. Plus, you know, more importantly, the crop is right. in jeopardy <laughs> once, once the system doesn't work, uh, of course, on the hottest day of the year when you really need it. So, right. Well, that, that's great, and I, I think, you know, you're adding the new pages to address soil moisture sensors and other, you know, tech um, is probably the trend. I mean, are you, are you getting more engaged from the university standpoint, um, more engaged in addition to the equipment itself and the functionality of the system, are you getting more involved in the management of the system or the actual farming uh, with drip and sprinklers? Um, so I wouldn't go so far as to say we get involved with farming, but um, I'll just give the latest example of a project that we worked with. Um, we were working on the Central Coast um, from Ventura up to uh, Watsonville with the strawberry growers. We did a five-year study um, where we were trying to figure out why the strawberry growers were using uh, sprinklers to, uh, to um, get their transplants started. And uh, so they would put sprinklers on for about six to eight weeks in the October to uh, November timeframe. And um, it was a real common practice to use these sprinklers and, and get these transplants started and then switch over to drip irrigation. And um, we, it was a real challenge because I, I spoke with about 30 growers and I got about 30 different answers on why they were doing it that way <laughs> instead of just using drip or, or some other practice because the sprinklers, um, when you irrigate um, mulch or the plastic on strawberries, if you irrigate that with sprinklers, the water, you, basically you'll have about 50% of your water right off the uh, beginning will start to run off because there's yeah, plastic yeah. in the water. That's and crazy. So, I know. Yeah. So we, we worked with some dealers and some manufacturers, um, and we came up with some ideas. And uh, we got a little bit of funding from a water district down uh, down in that region in Ventura County. And uh, the uh, first year we got a project going, we had three growers lined out. Uh, the first grower quit um, two weeks before we started. The second grower quit two days after we started. And then the oh. third grower, we, we killed about 30% of his plants. Um, and uh, I pretty much thought I was going to get run out of town for coming up with these <laughs> new ideas. And uh, but, but what saved me is it was one of these really high-end, um, innovative growers, and he, he did lose 30% of his uh, inner plants on a four-row four plant system, but he got the same yield as his, uh, as his control plot on how he was farming. So even though we, we had some problems, 
we were getting the equivalent yield on what we were doing compared to what he was doing. So he saw that there was some potential there, and we tweaked and tweaked. And five years later, um, most of the growers had, had abandoned the sprinklers, um, like up in Watsonville, and uh, it was pretty minimal use down in uh, the Santa Maria area. And then down in Ventura County, they were using them only for, um, you know, like Santa Ana wind events, uh, hot, dry wind events, and things like that. They were just doing a real minimal amount of sprinkler application. They would just use it as a safety valve. And so we, we walked away from that feeling pretty good because they saved a lot of water. They were getting increased yields, and um, we really made a big shift with them by by talking them out of doing pre-plant fertilizers and moving towards seasonal application of their um, their nitrogen and calcium and sulfate products. And it really shifted the industry around. And so, and then about three years after that, um, they started trying microsprayers down there to help control mites. And then they found that the microsprayers actually um, were a good product to to get that water on the on the plants for transplant uh, establishment. And so now, when you drive through the Ventura County area, almost all the fields, the strawberry fields, have micro irrigation and drip irrigation uh, going on them. And the the bottom line, what the issue was that nobody could figure out, and we nailed down at the end of the project, was that it was a salinity buildup um, next to the small uh, plant. And part of the salinity was caused by the guys putting too much fertilizer on uh, early in the season, and it would start to release and then impact the plants. And then once they got too salty, the plants thought they were out of water. They just they couldn't absorb any water anymore. They couldn't intake any water through the uh, salinity process. And so that that was the thing that we were trying to uh, to uh, capture. So so that I, I I say we don't work with growers, and then that's one my one example we worked really closely with growers on that project. Uh, but that's kind yeah, of rare that it's involved at that level. Yeah, and you live to tell about it because, you know, as you <laughs> when you um, start messing with somebody's crop, um, that can get a little dangerous. But, you know, bottom line, you were able to convert them to something better, and they recognize that. So, um, right. so that's very interesting, you know, putting on the pre-plant fertilizer uh, you know, kind of the sprinkler irrigation mentality, and yet they were using drip um, uh, to point out to them that, no, what you really want to do with drip irrigation is put the fertilizer through the drip system and not have it on pre-plant. So a very astute way to get them to do that. That's great. And, and I have a, a similar experience. We did a, we did a Toro uh, uh, case study about 10 years ago with Frank Estrada, similar thing. He got away from using sprinklers on the strawberries with the mulch because all the water would just run off and it caused weeds and it was an organic field and he had all this extra labor as a result of that. But by doing a really good job with his drip irrigation, soil prep and placement of the drip lines and pulse irrigating and so forth, all the good things, um, they were able to get away with no, no sprinklers at all. Uh, or at least not the the big hand move aluminum sprinklers. So very interesting. Yeah, now, it, it was it was a good project. So that we we got at the end of the day, um, it was very successful. And the way I count success is the Strawberry Commission has come to Cal Poly now, and they've set up their own uh, strawberry center at Cal Poly. They they basically modeled a um, a center here around the way we set up a ITRC, the Irrigation Training Research Center. Oh, they have a strawberry right. center that. Does, research and they put a lot of funding in you know, research funding into that effort and that they're looking at the they're not looking at a lot of things not just irrigation they're looking at sure. uh, plant types and disease resistance and things like that 
now. And I love this whole trend of using a little microsprinkler system on top of the berry fields rather than, um, you know, spraying with, with, with some chemicals or pesticides for the mites. So that's, that's been a nice trend, too. So thanks for mentioning Yeah, they, they said it's prevented, it's limit, uh, limited to spraying. So it'll, it'll take the uh, place of, like, two spraying events to have these microsprays operate. So the, oper- the growers see it as a real, you know, beneficial thing. And then plus you're getting the water... You know, the water's being applied on top of that, um, on top of trying to control the mites. They, they do it in raspberries. It's so common in raspberries, so they switched mm-hmm. it over to try it on strawberries. And it, and it really helped out the industry, the, the drip irrigation industry, because it's created a whole new market that didn't exist for the microspray guy. Yeah, and decreased the use of chemicals, which is all in the direction of goodness. So that's, uh, right. that's great. So you also talked about at CAIA um, small farm uniformity uh, results. Can you just kind of highlight that a little bit for us? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned earlier this distribution uniformity idea, and this is a performance measure that, um, you know, it's pretty much an industry standard. We can go out and uh, assess an irrigation um, system that's operating and say, you know, you're operating at a 0.9 or a 90% level, or you're operating at a 0.6 or a 60% level. Um, you know, half the industry uses percent, and the other half uses a decimal value, but it's the same thing. Um, and so what what we have done over the last uh, 30 years or so is we have put out um, irrigation evaluation teams, and we've, uh, we've worked in conjunction with Department of Water Resource, um, and they've, the Department of Water Resources, and they've put out um, mobile labs, and so what we have is a whole bunch of folks out throughout the state that, that have been collecting this uniformity data for agriculture. And on our website, um, itrc.org, um, on our website we have this database and we have this information available. And I was asked at the meeting um, to provide some summary information about that, uh, the results and, and how it's kind of trended. And so um, so I was, I was happy to share, you know, that from the – 1990s to the current time frame, you know, the, the uniformities were in the mid to mid 70s, the mid 0.75, mid 0.76 range um, as far as the overall performance. And then overall, um, we've seen that number tick up to the to the high 80s, 80, uh, 88, 85, somewhere in that range. Uh, or let's see, I'll keep switching back and forth to decimal 0.88 or 0.85. And, and what that means is that these these growers that are improving their performance is that they, they're actually improving their yield. Um, they, they are doing a tremendous uh, job of getting the water out there, you know, in, in the first place. But as they improve that performance, it, it, it typically means that they're getting the water down to the ends of the, the runs or the, the low-pressure points of a field. And instead of getting 1,500 pounds per acre, they're getting, you know, 2,500 pounds per acre. Um, on the same irrigation system, the same crop, and the same, um, you know, the same application of water out to a field. So, yeah. so what we've seen huh. is a real big uptick in the in this whole um, resource efficiency, where where we're seeing growers, you know, putting out a lot more tonnage or a lot more yield um, with about the same amount or, or somewhat uh, in some cases less water being applied to these fields. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense that if you're irrigating better that you're going to get better yield but it's really hard to prove i mean it's hard to do these case studies and say oh my du improved you know when when my du improved 10 percent because i i did something different or i fixed something 
and then my yield went up, say, 10%. But, um, but you're saying that that is becoming more common or more accepted um, as a concept? Yeah, and, and what we try to track, um, the Farm Bureau tracked this for years and years, and then we took it over, I don't know, about 10 years ago, where every five years we track, um, you know, what the total yield is in tonnage for the state of California, and then we track how much water the, the whole state's been using for agriculture. And um, from the 1980s to now, we've, we've seen a general decrease in the amount of water used, 15 to 20 percent uh, less water, total water by agriculture. Uh, which is huge because the numbers went from, you know, 32 million to, you know, 15 to 20 percent less now, 32 million uh, acre feet per year. And so we've decreased our water use, but what has dramatically changed is our yield tonnage has almost doubled in that same time frame from 1980 to 2018. And so what that means is we're, we're getting a lot more tonnage or less with less water. And, and we can track that with time. And, and we, we attribute that to the growers. You know, the growers are the innovative ones that are really working with the manufacturers and working with the dealers, and they're, they're really trying to make those changes, um, you know, to improve those yields. And, and part, I, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying that uniformity has been the sole reason. You know, variety changes and, and other things have, have uh, led to that. But a, a lot of it is the farmers just being more efficient with their operations, putting fertilizer on at the right time. We, we mentioned that one earlier. Yep, yep the show here, um, you know, putting water on at the right time and putting fertilizer on at the right time has really led to some of those um, improved values there. Interesting. I, I, I did not know about uh, you tracking that data. That's, that's very interesting. Well, Stu, we have um, about five minutes left, and I want to give you the opportunity, just anything else that you'd like to add or if you'd like to uh, comment on this, this perennial question of how ag, urban, and environment all find balance our water in the state, if you have any uh, sage thoughts for us in that arena as well, um, we're all ears. Well, I, I, uh, I don't think in five minutes I'm going to solve uh, California's uh, water problems here, but I heard your comments with Chris Austin earlier, and um, one of the areas that we're really trying to work hard um, in this arena is working with the water agencies that deliver water to the farmers. And and we've kind of made that our mission, um, as far as the center goes, is to try to get water districts to provide the flexibility so that farmers can uh, use highly modernized on-farm irrigation systems. Yes. And, yes. Um, and yes. we've really yes. sunk our, our teeth and our, our training classes and our, our emphasis in that uh, arena. And, and it's kind of like the story I told you about the strawberry uh, growers at the beginning. When we first started talking to these guys, um, it was really hard to get uh, water district personnel and their boards, which are typically farmers, um, to sit down and listen to these ideas. And um, so I have to credit um, Charles Burt. He, he really is the, the, the catalyst behind the, the, this idea of improving the flexibility to the point where these growers can switch over to drip and and we've, we've, we've come a long ways in California with pressurized irrigation, and we have a long ways to go still. We're probably only about 50% uh, pressurized and, and on the highly modernized irrigation systems. And um, my feeling is, um, you know, California Ag still has a ways to go to, to meet some of these uh, target values. Now, now um, you know, the groundwater depletion that's occurring in the southern San Joaquin Valley, that's not going to solve that problem. Um, I, I, I heard Chris mention that, she feels the, 
amount of acreage that might need to be followed is anywhere from 500,000 to, to uh, 3 million. Um, the latest estimates I've heard are, are closer to maybe 1, 1.2 million uh, acres. But we've, we have said that for a year because um, you just look at a plot of the groundwater data from California, and we've been overusing um, anywhere from two to two and a half million acre feet per year. We've been pulling water from the groundwater and not replacing it for, it's been since the 30s. I mean, it's not, it's a trend line you can just plot and look at. And so they, they knew it was coming. They knew this issue was out there. It's just a matter of the political um, winds changing enough to, to change, you know, how everybody's doing business. And I think this new groundwater law that's in, coming into effect um, in 2020 is going to start implementing some of those changes. So I, I predict we're going to see some land, uh, irrigated land following um, in the future. Um, I also predict they're going to finally get some additional storage in California, dealing with the uh, uncertainty in weather. Um, so I, I, you know, we supported the idea of trying to get additional uh, storage in California. We haven't built storage in years and years, and the population has increased dramatically, and the demand for food coming from California has uh, increased dramatically. So, um, so I think it's a combination of things. Some, some agriculture going out of production, um, improvements in uh, efficiencies in our resources, and then I, I see on the horizon um, that we're going to get additional storage out there, and I, I hope to see it in my lifetime. I hope to see things like raising uh, Shasta or Sites Reservoir um, or some of these other local projects um, that are going to improve our water supply situation especially, um, you know, what you mentioned earlier on the uncertainty due to, you know, the climate change uh, practice or climate change uh, issues that we're dealing with. Yeah, the water melting earlier and the flooding. and But, you know, this trend to uh, deliberately uh, recharge the groundwater when the floodwaters are available is a big one. You know, what Don Cameron is doing, basically opening up the old river floodgates and uh, letting it pour back into the ground, that's also been a very good development. Yeah. Well, Mr. Chris Davey, do you want to um, say anything to your former professor? Well, if we had a ton of time, I would, right? I mean, I know there's a, there's a great recognition to be had here for what the uh, ICRC does up there. I know that they're a, uh, a great school, recognized center of excellence, as a matter of fact, and not just teaching and training, but um, you know, a lot of hands-on stuff, research, technical support. Uh, you know, moved into the 21st century with online classes now, and I was just kidding about the real Cal Poly. I am a student of Cal Poly Pomona, so <laughs> great folks down there. I was around with uh, Dr. Hung and, uh, and remained with um, Ramesh Kumar and Udell Biff. Great, great bunch of folks up there. I know, I know you guys work together well. All right. Well, folks, uh, Dr. Stiles, thank you so much for joining us tonight and for all of your contributions and the work that you do. Um, we'll sign off for tonight on the Water Zone. Peace.